Hello and welcome to The Weekend Booktopia. I am Mark Harding, Content and Brand Manager for Booktopia, and joining me today are Cass Sharp, Assistant Category Manager for Nonfiction. Hello, Cass. Hi, Mark. I'm also joined by Renee Adolfson, our Trade Product Coordinator. Hello, Renee. Hey, Mark. And finishing out our uh, cast today is Ben Hunter, our Category Manager for Fiction. Hello, Ben. Last but not least. <laughs> So we're going to jump into a little bit of book news, uh, then we're going to be talking about the books that everybody has been reading, and then we're going to finish up, as we always like to do, with our competitive book quiz called Book Fight, uh, which uh, today has been written by me for the first time in a while, and I used to get a lot of complaints, and I'm anticipating more today. So sit tight, that's going to be fun. So last night, the Australian Book Industry Association Awards were announced. Uh, this is a huge uh, part of the book selling and publishing uh, calendar. Yes. And um, a whole host of amazing uh, books and authors won some prizes. Ben, you were actually there. I was actually. You should have been there, Mark. <laughs> I had a thing on. Sure you did. Sure you did. You, next year, mate. Next year. Um, yeah, so we're recording this on a Thursday for the weekend Booktopian. So it was Wednesday night. That was the uh, ABR Awards for 2021. Uh, it was a weird night, um, mainly because it was a hybrid event. So most of the award ceremony was a stream of uh, recipients receiving their awards remotely. Uh, a little bit like the Oscars or, you know, just very different to uh, previous events, um, but we were all in the auditorium. And uh, something that was really weird was that, um, you know, they, they made this decision to pre-record a lot of it because they didn't know who was going to be able to get here. It's hard to plan for things during COVID. But the weird result was a lot of the people were in the auditorium <laughs> watching themselves on the screen getting the award, <laughs> just sitting there, just like, yep. That's me. And then, the, and then at the end, they're like, now, if you're here to get your trophy, you could just pick them up on the way out. <laughs> it's like, it's like, your parking will be validated. You'll get a trophy. <laughs> um, but it was still a magical night. It always is. Um, uh, what can I tell you? Um, uh, winners. Let's talk winners. Yeah. Um, Okay, so Booktopia sponsors an award, so I'm going to start with this one. And the award we sponsor is General Fiction Book of the Year, and I was very happy that that book was The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams. That is a phenomenal book published by Affirm Press, and we have been selling stacks. Um, the Small Publishers Book of the Year was also a favourite of mine that went to The Animals in That Country by Laura G. McKay published by Scribe. Um, other big winners on the night were um, the wonderful Eddie Jakku. There was, there was just so much joy when he came up on the screen. He won uh, for the Biography Award. Uh, there was awards for In Praise of Veg was a big winner in the um, illustrated book category. Uh I actually have all the all the winners up here. Would you? Would yeah, you, if you yeah. want to run through them. <laughs> yeah. So in case I just mumble my way through, and thirty minutes later I've remembered half of them. Uh, so book of the year, phosphorescence. Phosphorescence. Yeah. Very excited about that. Yeah, and we all love Julia uh, Baird here. Um, so book of the year is the winner of all the winners. So yeah, should have put you, that. You, last. you you um you win in a category, and then 
you you're up for the the book of the year out of, out of they they form the shortlist for that. Phosphorescence is just the best selling um, Australian book of 2021, and the acceptance speech was probably the highlight of the night. It was a long speech. Um, Julia was incredibly eloquent. She was beautiful, and there was a, a kind of a tearful reveal that. Um, she had just lost her mother and you know this book is all about how to find joy and awe and what we actually value in life and there's a really big moment for her uh it's a huge moment for harper collins as well her publisher um uh alice wood uh her publicist and her publisher um catherine milne um were big you know champions of the night um, but it was an amazing moment for her, and yeah, there was not a dry eye in the house. It was just like, wow, wow, it's a huge, huge moment. Mm. And then Courtney acts on <laughs> to round out the night, which is cool. Everyone's been talking about that this morning. Um, I think, especially with phosphorescence, it came at a time where people were really looking for a book, particularly in the middle of like the uncertainty of lockdown and when will COVID end and our lives being so different and finding beauty in like the everyday moments and the times that are really hard and navigating those. Um, so it's amazing to hear that she is one for book of the year and for nonfiction. And it sounds like it was a beautiful speech. It was, it was really special. Um, I think a couple of the other winners that we haven't touched on yet and we'll just quickly touch on them and then move on is um, the literary fiction book of the year. Jesse too. Jesse too. Um, uh, the audio book of the year which um, Archie Roach, Archie Roach yep. won that. Yep. Um, the Matt Rochelle Award for New Writer of the Year. Which, Vivian Pham. Yep. Yes. Vivian Pham. Uh, the Coconut Children. Is that the title of that book? Yes. That is. Yep. That's that's a really special story. That book. She came through Sydney Story Factory, and had been championed by all these people. Um, very young author, um, diverse voice, very special. The, yeah, the future of publishing is so diverse, and it's going to be awesome. Um, and the Small Publishers Children's Book of the Year, uh, which went to Bindi by Curly Saunders. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Book of the Year for Older Children, uh, which went to The Left-Handed Booksellers of London by Garth Nix, who is another um, great friend of ours here. Garth Nix is a family favourite. <laughs> and the Book of the Year for Younger Children, uh, which went to The Grandest Bookshop in the World by Amelia Mello which I have not read, but um, Sarah, our um, Kids MYA specialist, uh, really loved, I believe. Yep. So there's some there's some really good books in that. Yeah. Oh, The International, ah, yep. yes. which is you know, weird because it's the Australian book night, but The International Book of the Year went to Such a Fun Age by Carly Reid. I'm still in awe that I got to meet her in person before <laughs> COVID because mm. it was like meeting the Queen. Just so cool. Um, and I think the last one that we haven't mentioned is the Children's Picture Book of the Year, which went to Our Home, Our Heartbeat by Adam Briggs. Legend. He was there and I didn't get to talk to him, but a couple of people got to talk to him and I was just like, I'm in the same room as Briggs. <laughs> <laughs> Briggs and Courtney Act. What a combination. <laughs> <laughs> but it, was a really, it was a really special night um, to be able to meet a lot of the people, a lot of the authors that I've been Zooming with. Over the past 12 months, in the flesh mm. for the first time. That was really special. Um, it was very noisy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is just me whinging, but like... This is just Ben's feedback for 
Carriage Works is a concrete box. Yep. And if you put a DJ in there and pump in really loud music and the tall people cannot hear the short people in the room. <laughs> so, you know, feedback for next year. And Mark, you've got to be there next year. I will be there next year. I, I genuinely had a family engagement last night um, and I would have loved to have, to have gone. Because um, um, I wanted to, I wanted to hang out with Courtney Act. Yeah, you yeah. do. Um, <laughs> very quickly, um, industry winners. Um, so readings went uh, for retailer of the year. That's a very special prize, and uh, I think the uh, director of readings, um, Mark, made a really um, excellent point. He said this is a win for Victoria because they did an incredible job of. Uh, coming together and selling books through a hard lockdown and mm. surviving that. And that's a really special thing. And it was a, a win for community book selling. Um, uh, there were a couple of winners for Bookshop of the Year. So individual Bookshop of the Year. I think it was the Sun Bookshop got uh, a special mention and Avid Reader up in Brisbane, beautiful shop, uh, Bookshop of the Year. Um, if you're ever in those locales, go and check out those shops. They're excellent. Um, and Publisher of the Year, which is kind of the big industry one that everyone is uh, gaming for, that went to Penguin Random House, Ooh. which, yeah, they published some very successful books in 2020. <laughs> yeah. You may have heard of. Um, and then there was also Small Publisher of the Year, um, which went to UQP. University of Queensland Press. They make some amazing books. Awesome. Well, I think that that pretty much wraps it up on the obvious. Um, I don't want to spend too much more time on news before we get to the books that we've been reading, but I just wanted to quickly touch on the uh, shortlist for the Women's Prize for Fiction uh, has also been announced. Um, ben, do you have a prediction as to who is going to win? Oh, there's a couple of really strong sellers on there. Strong sellers don't necessarily win the prize. It's a literary prize, you know, but uh, Transcendent Kingdom is an excellent book and that has been selling very well, as has Britt Bennett, um, The Vanishing Half. They are both excellent books that are getting a lot of attention, um, both by women of colour, which is really cool, um, but just amazing books and you should go read them. Uh, I think it's an excellent list all round. I want to read all of them. Fantastic. There's more on that on our blog. Olivia's doing her job amazingly, as always. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Uh, let's move on to the books that we've been reading. Uh, Cass, I'm going to start with you. Okay. What do you have today? Um, I was writing a little bullet point list and I was like, how far back do I go? Because I've been reading a bit, but then I also can't talk for half an hour about the books I'm reading. Um, okay. So thank you, Mark, for everyone's reference at home. Mark's just like pushed the microphone towards me because I'm very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So... Probably one of the books I've been telling my friends about the most is Remember by Lisa Genova. So you'd know her if you've read Still Alice or you've seen the movie. Um, she's also a neuroscientist who studied at Harvard and she talks in this book about our brains and how we remember things and why we remember things, the different kinds of memory and how we store memories and stuff like that. Um, she uses really accessible, understandable examples from like her own life. So when you lose your keys, it's because you didn't pay attention to them enough to store that information in your brain to retrieve it later. So that's why you don't know where they are. Um, and she talks about how to strengthen your brain functioning through different things like outsourcing um, stuff that you need to do into lists and like, you know, basic things that we've kind of heard of, but explaining the reasoning behind them. 
Um, and it was fascinating. And the examples were really interesting and they've stuck in my head. <laughs> and um, she talks about how one of the most common questions she gets asked after an event is people will come up to her and be like, look, I'm forgetting things. I don't remember certain things. Um, does that mean I have like Alzheimer's or something? Because that's what her research specialises in and that's what still Alice is about. And she was like, well, no, usually it's not. Like if you've misplaced your keys, that's one thing. But if you've driven somewhere and forgotten you have a car, that is something else. Um, so it is a bit reassuring. It's also just fascinating. And it was accessible in a way that I found um, the brain that changes itself not accessible mm -hmm. because that's very dense, like science-focused reading. Um, whereas this, you can see her ability as a storyteller and as someone who's written a novel. Um, so I loved that. I've talked to my friends about it for ages and ages and ages. I'm going to be pushing the book onto them <laughs> so they can read it and tell me about stuff. And um, you're never going to lose your keys again. Oh, no, I definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> or in my case, also my swipe card. Um, what else am I reading? At the moment, I'm reading Fake Medicine by Dr. Brad McKay. Um, you might know him from Embarrassing Bodies Australia, which I never watched because I would have had too much secondhand embarrassment. And also medical stuff makes me feel a bit weird. Um, so he's just diving into all of the hoaxes and scams and stuff um, because we live in a world where anyone can give you health advice. And if something's wrong, we tend to Google it before we think to go and see a doctor. And like, if anyone can give you health advice, like what is actually useful? And he goes through stuff like home remedies to like actual Instagram influencers and the impact of wellness warriors on people actually seeking medical help. Um, and it's fascinating. It's scary in some bits, like the chapter about chiropractors <laughs> made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, please, please don't crack align people's spines like they're probably okay um but yeah it's very readable um he relates a lot of it to his own life like he starts with an example about how he had a um back pain and his gp made a mistake and sent him to um a physio or something and also to a um to do heat therapy and basically what happened was eventually he needed surgery and oh god that was all fine, but the heat treatment and the physio massage stuff had just made it worse oh. and made it bigger. And he was like going through all of this pain because like someone had misread the things and his parents were quite religious and they're like, well, you know, God can fix it. God can cure you, go to a healing mass. And he was like, oh yeah, I did faint because that's a thing that people do with these things, but it's partly because like you're expected to. And also because he was in the closet and the guy who was supposed to catch him was really hot. He was like, maybe that's why I fainted. <laughs> <laughs> so it is like through a relatable lens and he talks about stuff like um, the importance of vaccinations and kind of talking to people who are very embedded in their own worldview and how important it is to seek medical advice and do your own research and not just believe everything you see on the internet. And what else have I written down? Um, I'm also reading Brave New Humans by Sarah Dingle who came in last week. Mm. Yes. Um, because my boss, Joel, had a podcast with her, which you can also find here. Um, she's written an expose of the donor-conceived birth industry. So she found out at a late age that the person she thought was her biological dad was not mm. and that she'd been conceived through donor sperm. And when she went to try and find out more about her biological dad, she basically was blocked off at every avenue because they're like, well, you don't have any rights. That data belongs to your mum. And also someone's like just ripped out the information. So that's it. And yeah, it is a bit like 
um, fake medicine in that you look at things and you're like, oh my God, like there's so little regulation around these things and like just bewildering. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is a lot to read, but it's again, very readable, very accessible because it's her personal story through trying to figure out who she is. Um, yeah. And I'm really enjoying that. It's, I'm trying to put it into words. <laughs> it's great. Um, it's, it's heavy hard, stuff, but it's great. Yeah. yeah, because she's kind of figuring out like her own identity in relation to her mum and the person she grew up thinking was her biological dad and also that um, she talks about how the donor conception industry doesn't care about the people that they make. Yeah. Like once you're out, they don't care about you anymore. Mm. You don't have rights. Needs to be regulated. Definitely. And you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe that's just like an area where like you don't have rights mm, mm. and no one's really thought about it. Um, That's awesome. Thank you so much, Cass. <laughs> you're welcome. I mean, th- those are three very interesting books and um, we'll have links to all of them in the show notes. And as you mentioned, um, we do have a podcast with Sarah Dingle as well that um, people can listen to on our podcast channel. Renee, I'll turn to you now. What are you reading? <laughs> well, Cass has made me look very bad because <laughs> I've been a very indecisive reader and haven't gotten through a lot. So I've just got one book to bring to the table. Um, and of course, it's a thriller, which is one of my favorite genres to read. And it's called Catch Us the Foxes, um, and it's by Nicola West. And it's a great title for a thriller, which is why it caught my eye to begin with. Straight, I thought this is going to be some hunting, gruesome, gory goodness. Um, it is in a way, but it's also about being cornered. It's kind of it's set in Kayama, which is a small coastal suburb in New South Wales. Very weird place to kind of set a thriller. Usually, Kayama, you think ice cream, beaches, sunsets. <laughs> Not really how it goes down in this novel. So the main character, Lo, she's a young journalist and she has the unfortunate occurrence of discovering her best friend's body um, at the local, this local annual event. And the odd thing about finding the body is that it's been mutilated in a way where there's seven symbols carved into um, the back of this body. And it leads Lo onto this huge discovery of the town she's lived in her whole life and this kind of cult-esque group. And um, she kind of uses the death of her friend to kind of, um, as the as like, sorry, I'm like really fumbling over my words, yeah. That's okay. Um, so yeah, so she uses this discovery as kind of like a way for her to break through in her journalism and uncover what actually happened. And this small township murder becomes this massive national news headline. And it kind of, it upheaves this whole history that she hasn't known about and these things that have been happening behind her back. And it's like, um, it's, it's very dark. It's very gory. It's been compared to Twin Peaks and The Dry. I wouldn't really compare it to those two particular novels. I more see it as more of a Wickerman kind of more... Less hunted, more cornered kind of thriller. Have but, you think of True Detective the way that you've described yeah, it? Yeah, it, it kind of is in a way. Um, but yeah, it does, it does, it moves very quickly and it's a very fast paced thriller. And it kind of, it doesn't leave any questions unanswered, which was great. Mm. Most thrillers leave you constantly questioning or trying to skip ahead or yes. wanting to get to the end quicker and quicker. But you move so quickly through this and there's, there's so many, there's about several different suspects and you never really know if you're right or if you're on the right track. 
But yeah, it's a really great novel and I really, really enjoyed it. And I believe it's her debut. It is her debut. Yeah. It's got a really cool cover too. Yeah, it does. Fox face. (laughs) (laughs) Which it's it's very surprising it's a debut because it's a quite well thought out thriller and it has the great bones for like a a really, really interesting kind of even a film. Like you can kind of Mm. visualise the imagery of, you know... And for people who know Kayama, does uh, does the blowhole make an appearance? <laughs> the blowhole, of course, makes an appearance. Oh, brilliant! You can't, you know, you can't go past that. Yeah, read it just for that. <laughs> Very authentic Kayama, but with a dark twist. Fantastic! Thank you, Renee. Uh, over to you, Ben. All right, I'll talk about just two. Um, uh, I have been reading this week Villa Yarandungarung Durai, which means River of Dreams. Rajri title. It's the first time there has been an Aboriginal language title for a, a commercial novel uh, from a major publisher in Australia, which is um, uh, an event in and of itself. It's by Professor Anita Heiss, who's a living legend. Uh, and this book is gorgeous. It's a work of historical fiction, which um, is all set on country um, out at Gundagai and Wagga Wagga and the surrounds. Um, and it is in the uh, mid or f- 1850s and 60s. Uh, the most devastating um, natural disaster pretty much in colonial Australian history, uh, the Great Flood of Gundagai, uh, where just like a third of the town drowned um, in over a couple of days. Um, and... It was a completely preventable catastrophe because the white fellas came out there to colonise and they built their houses, these colonial houses, uh, not stilt houses like you see today, colonial houses right on the river and the traditional owners, the Rajri people, were making themselves loud and clear and saying, don't, don't build there, you'll, you'll get flooded out, you'll drown. And lo and behold, so many of them did and... Uh, the uh, Rajari folk were, um, they knew their land, they knew their waters, and they were up on the mountain uh, when the rains came. And so these, a couple of guys came down in canoes um, and rescued just dozens upon dozens of people. They are just national heroes that their story does not get told enough. Um, so that's the... That's the um, catalyst of this story and it's a story of love it's a story of familial love the love of country and also some nasa romance (laughs) (laughs) um and it gets all into the nitty-gritty of um life in servitude life um uh for um aboriginal folk when they are separated from their community um or forced off their land, uh, you know. It's the story of uh, stockmen um, at the time, and they worked really hard, and these blokes just worked for rations. Uh, and there's uh, what I got out of this novel is that a lot of the a lot of these guys made the choice to do this um, because it was the only way under the protectionism policies of the time that they could actually have freedom to actually roam their country um, and get on a horse and actually get a, a mild sense of uh, being able to walk about and be on their land again. Um, 
because they were just completely displaced by pastoralists when they came. Uh, it's yeah, it's harrowing stuff, but really beautifully told, uh, and I got a lot out of it. Um, it's a gorgeous book, and I really recommend it. Billa Yarandung Gurung Gurai. I'm going to work on that pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Anita has actually released a video on her Twitter. Uh, where she, she did, but then I yeah. then I talked to her, and she's like, "I, I, I got it wrong in that video." Oh, did she? <laughs> she oh. herself um, is really cool. She, um, in her fifties, is learning her what should be her native language for the first time, uh, and that's an incredible. She's going on an incredible journey, and it's informing her writing. And she's told me her way of thinking, which is really exciting, really cool. Mm. Um, so exciting time for. Uh, First Nations authors, especially Anita Heiss. Just love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, and the book I'm reading right now, and I'm going to um, zip through it this weekend, I am just, oh. Charlotte McConaughey, who wrote a book, um, came out last year called The Last Migration, which was released in America under the title Migrations. <laughs> so it's now been re-released in Australia just as Migrations because it's been adapted into a big film. Um, with some big stars in it called Migrations. Um, it is that, – that book is phenomenal and I think it's it's yet to become a major bestseller, but I think it's going to get there, uh, especially with this film happening. It is just the, the best book, novel um, that I have ever read that works in the real consequences of the climate crisis. Um, it just makes it real and tangible in ways that I've never been able to fully comprehend. That is just a wonderful tribute to the power of fiction to be able to make things tangible and knowable and feelable. And her new book um, is also all about nature. It is called, um, oh gosh, um, uh, something about wolves. The, the title is Mark's Googling right now. I'm going to have a live on the air fact check because... Um, you got to know. I had a late one last Once night. Once there were wolves. Once there were wolves. I had a late one last night. Went to an awards night. And uh, yeah, words are escaping me. But I've started reading it and it's bloody excellent. It's going to come out in August. Yep, 3rd of August. Available for pre-order at booktopia.com.au which was the number one search result on Google. So our search team are doing a good job. Go us. Go us. All right. Thanks, guys, for all your recommendations. And now we come to the part of the podcast that you either love it or you dread it, which is book fight. Um, and look, I, I wrote like half of the questions today and Olivia Frico also wrote the other half. And we have already discussed several of the answers today just in our conversation so that that should that should help make um, things this is, makes it even more embarrassing when you get wrong <laughs> all right uh so as usual uh we need a buzzer so cats what's your buzzer gonna be um, sd card sd card that, that that cuts me because i had trouble with an sd card just before we started recording it almost so defeated uh, sd cards in our area yeah so it was a smaller sd card inside the big sd card and yeah. you couldn't get the big one into the tiny yeah yeah we got that though yeah we did, we did. um renee what's yours going to be uh i'm going to go with my tradition of using my book title and go for foxes nice and ben wolves excellent all right 
Question one. Which book was named Book of the Year at the Obvious Wolves. last night? <laughs> ben. Phosphorescence. Very good. <laughs> okay, question number two. Name three books that are on the Women's Prize for Fiction shortlist. Wolves. Yeah. <laughs> Transcendent Kingdom. Yep. The Vanishing Half. Yep. Mm, um, anyone else want a point? <laughs> I'm uh, not going near this one because my category is nonfiction. Yeah, it's a fair call. Any also, ideas, Renee? Oh, I'm not going to touch it in case I humiliate myself. Two out of three <laughs> ain't bad, huh? Two out of three ain't bad. I'm going to give you two points for that. But um, the shortlist is The Vanishing Half by Britt Banner. Piranesi by Susanna Clarke. Oh, yeah, Susanna Clarke. Uh, Unsettled Ground by Claire Fuller. Yep. Transcendent Kingdom by Yagi Yassi. How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House by Sherry Jones. And No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. Oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Forgot it. Terrible. All right, question three. I'm going to tell you two truths and a lie about Edgar Allan Poe. For one point, tell me which one is the lie. Number one, he owned a cat named Katarina and would often write with his cat sitting on his shoulder. Number two, he mysteriously went missing for a week before his death and was found delirious in great distress in Baltimore before dying in hospital. And the last one, he would keep rotten apples in his desk because the scent of their decay helped him with his writing. Micro SD. I feel like the first one's not true. Should we all have a guess? I mean... Yeah, what I mean, do you think, I, Renee? I think the last one's not true, but wins. the rotting apples... All right. Well, I'm going to go for Baltimore. <laughs> the correct mm. answer is Renee. Uh, yeah, he Renee, would keep writing yeah. apples in his desk because the scent of their decay helped him with his writing. Uh, that was actually Frederick von Schiller, a famous German poet. Oh, I get them mixed up all the time. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say Poe kept like oranges. Under oh, yeah. Keep comparing, yeah. comparing <laughs> apples and oranges. Um, and in case you couldn't tell, that was one of the questions that Olivia wrote. <laughs> You don't have to mark it out. I think it was a good question. <laughs> it was a good question. All right. Question four. The title of Anita Heiss's latest novel, <laughs> Billy Yara Dangalangdurai, <laughs> translates to what? Uh, what's Wolves? Ben. River of Dreams. Absolutely correct. Beautiful book. They're signed copies at the time of recording. Go to my website. It's worth a read. All right, question five. Ripped from the headlines of a newspaper that I read this morning. Um, a task force of authors from the romance, horror, fantasy, and science fiction genres has just been formed and includes authors such as Neil Gaiman and Chuck Wendig. What is the purpose of this task force? To solve supernatural crimes. Oh, that would be awesome. But it no, it's be. an industry thing, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Is it something to do with missing funds or something? Royalties. Yeah, royalties. I'm thinking of the track. Star Wars guy. I don't know what his name is, but that's what I'm thinking. I'm I'm gonna give that to you, Cass, because you. Uh, they are their their task force is called Disney Must Pay, and uh, Disney has uh, there's a situation with Disney where they've recently bought pretty much everybody in the world and as part of this purchase they have bought the rights to several novels that are adaptations of previously released films like star wars 
novels, alien novels, right. Buffy the Vampire Slayer graphic novels and things like that. Uh, and Disney has, uh, Disney's uh, position is that they have taken on the um, contract, but not the liabilities. So they're not been paying royalties to authors who wrote these things. Um, it's very complicated, but um, yes, there, there is now a task force. So <laughs> hopefully need to get paid. They Disney do. has some money. I think they can make that they work really out. Do. I think they can. And they were bestsellers for them, weren't they? The Star Wars books that that particular gentleman wrote. Because I remember seeing it on Twitter. Yes, yeah. Um, so that was uh, the person who started it is an author by the name of Alan Dean Foster. Um, and yeah, he wrote, um, I think, The Alien, Aliens and the original uh, Star Wars novelization, which were all bestsellers yeah. and have been um, in publication for decades. All right, question six. We recorded a chat this week with the American crime superstar author Kathy Rikes about her new book, The Bone Code, for two points. Can you name the main character in her series? Wolves. <laughs> Temperance and, Brennan. Yep, Temperance <laughs> Brennan. You got a point there. And question number two, what number book in the series is The Bone Code? Oh. <laughs> My Christy. Um, 23. Oh, no. You're close. It's actually number 20. We're about to jump into the final final question. I didn't know. <laughs> um, I'll just do a quick points check. Cass, you're on one. Renee, you're on one. Ben, you are on one, two, three, four, five. Um, so. Yes. <laughs> uh, why this did question I... is worth five points. <laughs> I think you should have, because you jumped in before Mark finished the question, he should have made you, like, come up with the end of the question for a points thing. If I can ask the questions and answer them, then I'll be really in business. Mm -hmm. I feel like I should get I should get points for this one because <laughs> I've you can award I, yourself points. So <laughs> name the novel that this opening line is taken from. The sweat was lashing off a sick boy. He was trembling. I did um, that so micro well. SD. <laughs> yes. It's Cass. train spotting by Irvine Welsh. Correct. Train spotting by Irvine Welsh. Well done. But you still lose and Ben wins. <laughs> I know. Also, I didn't finish that book because I just found it very difficult to read. But it, 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 it is a difficult read. I read... Because he wrote it in a Scottish accent. Yeah. So it doesn't quite make sense yes. to you unless you read it to yourself. In it's, a, it's a wild read. Yeah. And there's like five or six books in that series now. And I read the latest one a couple of years ago. And it's a weird experience where, I don't know, I stuck with it. And like you get to about page 75 and you're like... I have to give this up because I can't. And then you read page 76 and it just clicks. And then suddenly like, you're like, oh yeah, no, I understand all the pattern and everything. But thank you everybody for listening. Thank you to Cass, Renee and Ben for joining me today. Uh, you can find links to all of the books that we discussed today in our show notes. And please uh, keep listening to our podcast channel where you can find all kinds of amazing interviews um, with authors and hear all of our opinions about books and publishing uh, until next time thanks for listening and never stop reading thank you for listening to the booktopia podcast channel don't forget you can subscribe to us on soundcloud and itunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions book analysis pieces and more or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. 
Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.